0: Summer's almost here. Yay, right? So when's the last time you tried on your swimsuits and summer clothes? If you could get back into summer shape in one visit, would you do it? Here's Dr. Brian Strand for Sonobello to explain.
1: It really is quite remarkable. Sonobello doctors use a technology called micro laser fat removal, and the results are amazing. We customize your procedure to accomplish your goals. Just share with us the problem areas where you'd like the fat in inches removed. And in one visit, they're gone. Permanently. I can't tell you how often I hear clients say how many years they've been trying to diet and exercise those inches away. And we did it in one comfortable visit.
0: It's time to get your summer on. Visit any of our Sonabella locations across the U.S. And right now, you can save $250. Visit sonobello.com slash save. sonobello.com slash save. That's sonobello.com slash save.
2: White Castle presents CEO Lisa Ingram.
0: My great-grandfather opened White Castle in 1921, which is why I'm excited to announce the new 1921 slider, inspired by how we made them 100 years ago. With 100% beef patty topped with cheddar cheese, caramelized onions, tomato, lettuce, and pickles. Come
2: see why originality never goes out of style. I'm Lisa, but you can call me the Slider
0: Queen. White Castle. Long live sliders. Pasteurized processed cheese at participating castles.
2: Welcome one, welcome all to the Razzball Prospect Podcast. My name is Lance Brodowski. This is not the voice of Ralph Lifshitz. I think I've been doing this with Ralph for about just over a year, and I don't think I've introed one of these pods. I've always handed the reins over to him, even if maybe I've done more of the hosting. So this is an absolute honor, and I'm joined not by Ralph, but by Jason Waddell of Prospects Live, good friend of the crew as always, and we are going to hash through uh, the news of the day, which is going to circle around Jed Lowry in particular, and some of the prospect implications that has on the Mets guys, like Peter Alonso and Andres Jimenez. And then we're going to dig into um, a kind of a top 100 high level debate. We're not going to probably give away too many specific ranks, maybe we'll give around some areas of guys, but just talk through top 100 that we're working through for prospectslive.com. Those are going to come out next week. We're doing a massive aggregated rank between all of us. We each are ranking about hundred to 125 guys. And, uh, it's been a lot of fun. I know it's been laborious for a lot of us, but uh, it's it's a blast. And I really wanted to talk through a couple things with Jason on this because his list is well, probably one of the more solidified right now. It sounds like JP, who's another individual over on Prospects Live, Jason Panini, has also gone pretty far through his list. I know, I'm sure Ralph's done with his. I'm sure he's doing it on the road right now or something. Uh, but uh, anyways uh, thanks for joining us as always Rasball at Rasball at com. powered by Prospects Live at Prospects Live Prospects Live.com I'm at Lance Braz on Twitter and Jason how you doing man you're Jason at the game on Twitter um, long night you had another pod before this man how did that one go
1: Well, you know, JP and I spent an hour and a half just kind of like talking about our list to find out, you know, like we trying to talk each other off the ledge (laughs) on some guys uh, either on the ledge for some or off, Uh, by the way, congrats on your first time doing an intro for Razzball. That's pretty exciting. I'm excited for you.
2: Yeah. (laughs) This is an exciting time. (laughs) Maybe I have done one. Maybe my memory is just foggy. I'm not sure. I don't think I have, though. So that that was a big moment. I hope I hit that on the nail. The head i think
1: head. it sounded good yeah. sounded very radio radio-ish
2: yeah that's what i like that's what i like let's get into this lowry uh signing by the mets um they're pulling the kind of 2017-2018 dodgers uh book here so to speak and signing a lot of talent having a lot of depth to the point where they probably have too many guys for positions and uh you know the biggest implication here as this is a prospect podcast we always like to look at the fantasy angle um the interesting thing here is that it might affect Peter Alonso a little bit. So Peter Alonso going to the back half of a lot of redraft leagues right now, and I know he's a guy that's a lot of people targeted. Unbelievable showing in terms of exit, veloc- exit velocities down in the Arizona Fall League. We had our very own JP down there and confirmed a lot of those. Some of those were sitting in the 115-ish exit velocity range, which I believe is top 25 um, percentile in major league baseball if he was to be present day and those were to be recorded at the major league level but they were not but regardless he's kind of one of these upside first baseman guys that's going in a lot of leagues and a lot of people have targeted we're not really sure what the upside is it probably is going to settle around maybe like a 250 average maybe a little bit lower with some strikeouts but the power is going to be there it's considerable he can hit fastballs well Um, this is interesting because Jed Lowry played the majority of his career in the last two seasons particularly at third base which means that if the Mets have any intention of moving Frazier to first base part-time, then that pushes out some of the playing time for Peter Alonzo potentially. Whereas pre this signing, it was looked like it was going to be Frazier at third and Alonzo with the shot to make the team out uh, out of spring and play first base. So off the top of my head, you know, I, I guess it's a slight stock down, Jason, but I'm not 100% sure of that. It seems like it's one of those things where, it might just be a uh, every other day kind of thing where he still kind of ends up maybe with a hundred games played and around five hundred plate appearances or something like that. But uh, it just may come in a little bit wonkier of a fashion. So all those weekly lock leagues are probably going to be a little messed up with Peter Alonzo at bats. Um, do you consider this stock down, stock up, or stock neutral, Jason?
1: I think it's stock neutral. I think that this move <clears throat> is. I think this move has nothing to do with Peter Alonzo because if Peter Alonzo comes out and hits uh the way that he has for the last season and a half uh Peter Alonso is going to win that first base job. Mm-hmm. I I had thought that, you know, cuz the Mets were looking for a right-handed power bat and they say that they found it in 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 Ramos. Not really. They what they really need is Cespedes. <clears throat> but without that big right-handed thumper, um that lineup's going to be exposed. I mean, so it's, to me, it, it doesn't affect Alonzo. What it allows you to do, though, is that it definitely allows you to keep him down a couple months, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You know, these guys were, were – the, the Mets are going to uh, contend this year. So, um, you know, we didn't think that going into the offseason. You know, they were talking about trading DeGrom and Syndergaard, and they went from sellers, you know, to buyers just, you know, as soon as BVW took over. For me – what Lowry's ultimate role is, I think, the time he's going to cut into is, is guys like Jeff McNeil. Absolutely, yeah. Um, it, Jeff McNeil is going to be the, the one that feels the squeeze here. Uh, now, Frazier could play first. Frazier could get DFA'd. Um, Cano can also play first. Uh, but one thing that Lowry can do that neither McNeil nor Cano or Frazier can do or J.D. Davis is he can cover shortstop? So now you basically have Ahmed Rosario insurance uh, going into a season, which you're now a contender. Mm-hmm. I think that's the thing. I don't think I think Rosario is going to have a long leash. Don't get me wrong, but now you have a shortstop on the 25 man, a backup shortstop on the 25 man roster, and you didn't have that before. And to bring in a guy like Lowry, who I mean, he's just been a monster at the plate the last couple of seasons, and, and it was just a low-key fantasy beast out in Oakland. Um, I think this is a big win for the Mets. It just lengthens that lineup, and it just covers, you know, a, a lot of these holes. And I think Alonzo too good to where it affects him. So, you know, the, there's no way that, right, do you think that Peter Alonzo will hit worse than Todd Frazier does in his rookie season?
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, I I can't imagine. Do you
1: foresee that? Do you foresee Peter Frazier's Alonso line? messing around with two seventeen? No, know, no. I, I, I mean,
2: even if it is though, I think that you're going to see a little more raw. Like, so Frazier was 115 games, 18 home runs, 176 ISO, 213 average. Like, even if Alonzo say maybe a 230 hitter with a low BABIP because he's hitting too many fly balls or something, Um, I still think he posts like 25 home runs, even if it's a yeah. 125 30 game sample. You know, like his his. Po- uh, excuse me, his power floor, is what I was trying to say there, is is pretty high for me. And I think that that is probably the biggest benefit of him. But I, it's interesting because the, the Mets, from my understanding down at the winter meeting, said that Todd Frazier was their everyday third baseman. Um, Mickey Coway said in his press conference. And then they go out and do this, and I guess they like the price of it. Jed Lowry is obviously on the downturn of most aging curves, but... Um, at the same time, he's produced really well in the last two seasons, and you almost wonder guys who kind of peak a little late whether they extend their aging curve a little a little bit and there isn't as sh- a sharp of a fall-off. But I don't know. It's weird. I, I, I want to say slight stock down just because of the uncertainty for the most part. And in terms of holding Alonzo back, I'm not really sure because this was the weird argument. I remember everyone thought that they were trying to suppress the service time last year, but the crux in that was that if you're suppressing Peter Alonso's service time, the year you're getting in terms of his age would be like his age 31 season, I think. Yeah. Which just is, is a complete, it's a waste for a guy who's a first base only kind of guy. You know what I mean? Like the value of that season can't be, you know, worth holding him down, especially if the Mets thought that they maybe had some shot, which they didn't clearly, but at the same time, maybe, maybe that potential year is more valuable than just his, his kind of acclimation of 20 games or whatever. But, but regardless of all of that, yeah, I mean, I guess the infield, plays out as like Frazier as a, I, I'd like to say it plays out as Frazier as like a part-time third baseman or, or very very part-time third baseman and then Lowry starting there you got Rosario at short cano at second and then I, I want to say Peter is the starting first baseman on opening day I would hope to say that you know and then basically you have Frazier in like a 90 game role where he's playing off time at third base and off time at first base and then Alonzo's maybe sitting every now and then um, it's my guess and I mean Jeff McNeil is definitely hurt by this to say that's the biggest stock down in this um, still, still somewhat of a prospect to some extent. I know he kind of came up last year and posted above two or, I think, and contributed in a lot of facets of the game, which was pretty impressive. But, but yeah, I, I've, I was reading a little bit that they're thinking about playing him a little more in the outfield, which is interesting, I guess, maybe to kind of, again, in another role where he's, I guess he's playing second base maybe when Cano's not there. Or however many games they're, they're tagging for Cano although he's been kind of a relative workhorse for, for a pretty good amount of time so I can't expect him missing too much games. so then McNeil goes to the outfield and kind of supplants Conforto and Nimmo I guess that's maybe a little bit of a hedge against possibility uh, Conforto goes down with more injuries Nimmo's been relatively healthy in his career they have Broxton and Lagares in center now um, so I, it's weird I, I I really really resembles what the what the Dodgers did in terms of adding depth and adding infield depth and just playing with a lot of guys but I feel like at the same time, the Dodgers also had a little bit more stability in some of the roles. Like, they had Justin Turner at third, which was solidified. Maybe their second baseman was a little fluid, but they had a guy like Corey Seager for a while, two years ago, um, when he, before he went down with Tommy John. And, you know, Muncy slotted in. There was an everyday first baseman. So there's more stability. I mean, the Mets just seem like they have a lot of options now, per se, as opposed to guys that are entrenched at spots. I think Cano's really the only one that's entrenched. And I think, as you said, they have a long leash on Rosario. But... But speaking of up the middle, Jason, do you think this has any implication on Andres Jimenez? This is a two-year deal with Jed Lowry. Obviously, I know you've been a pretty big fan of Jimenez for a while. You were kind of the guy, I think, that turned him on to me, um, actually. I don't think I knew too much about him until you started raving about him, and then I feel like the industry kind of caught up with you. You were I, I would consider you the first mover on him um, to some extent. So do you think this pushes his timetable at all? Because you have Lowry for two years. He's playing third base. Is it kind of maybe a hedge against Rosario still, but at the same time, I almost feel like they're gonna they're gonna play at Rosario probably for a couple years. So I, I'm gonna say stock neutral, obviously, on Jimenez. But you think it pushes his his uh, debut time potentially?
1: I mean, it could, it could. I mean, there's an outside shot if this kid were to start at Double A, and Rosario go down, and he's hitting that he's the Mets shortstop, mm-hmm. you know, in 2019. So he's really that close. I think what it does is this allows them time to just let. or at least let Jimenez be a kid, right? He just turned 20. There's no rush. There's no pressure to come up and be the starting second baseman or center fielder or shortstop for the, for the New York Mets. Um, Ultimately the guys, you know, when he's ready, he's going to, he's going to get thrust in there. So now they don't have to rush him. They can take their time with them. I think with Alonzo, you know, one of the things that think about this from a PR move, Mm -hmm. right? So if you're a Mets fan, and you go to opening day and J.D. Davis is the first baseman, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to be a little upset that, hey, we know what J.D. Davis is going to do. We want Alonzo. We want Alonzo. But if you go to opening day with Todd Frazier as your first baseman, I think the chatter for – or Jeff McNeil as your first baseman – um, the chatter for Alonzo and the pressure on the front office to what they might consider rush this guy, um, I think, is is kind of off their shoulders. I mean, Alonzo, JP, and I on this last podcast, it's interesting because we were talking about risk with with players. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an overall future potential grade, and then there's risk attached to it. So, like, if you're looking at a top top ten, you know, there might be a guy who's a seventy ranked behind a guy who's a 60 that 70 might be an extreme risk guy that 60 might be a a low risk a a low risk guy Mm -hmm. so um i think with alonzo it's easy to think well he's just uh you know what's the risk because the power should play at the major league level but if you think about like if peter alonzo struggles with curveballs like you know in the major leagues which is what he really struggled with at AAA um especially curveballs in the dirt away from him. Uh you know, there's still some holes in his swing. He's not a he's not a 60 hit tool guy. He's not a 300 hitter. So <clears throat> if this guy struggles with like a 220 average and and an insane K rate and his defense is a little shaky, which it is, there's nowhere for him to go. Yeah. There's nowhere for him to go. Like that's it. So I think the Mets, I think this buys them time. Do I think that Alonzo can handle it, and do I want to see him handle it right away? Sure. But can I understand also taking a major league player and buying time with another guy just to kind of just make sure that, you know, he's ready defensively, um as well as as well as offensively with the hit tool on the curveball? because here's here's one thing. like, On the Scouts Have Eyes podcast, we had a former Rays scout, Andrew Ray Mm -hmm. from the Rays, come on. Great episode. And he made a comment that I hadn't really, I've always loved defense, but this guy basically took my love of defense and turned it up like two or three levels. So I think you see that reflected in how I rank players. But he basically said that a major league team views defense almost equal, if not more, than the hit tool. Like fantasy, we're like, man, hit yeah, tool. If they can hit, right, we hit. We all we want is hitters. Um, they value defense that much. Peter Peter is kind of an a fringy defender. So this isn't the this isn't like I'm not I'm not banging the drum for service time here. This isn't like a no, um, yeah. you know, this isn't like Vlad Jr. last season, which was egregious. Um, so but I, I do think that there's some there's some holes in Alonso's game that could get exposed early, and if that does, then you know there's no talent. Tell- you know, it, it could first power hitter to come up and struggle, uh, and then people forget about him. So, mm-hmm. no, I agree yeah, with that. I that's mean, what I think. But Jimenez, I don't think it affects him at all. Okay. Really, I think when he's ready, when Jimenez is ready, he's going to find a time. He's going to find a spot. Yeah. Or they're gonna or they're gonna they're gonna move Rosario.
2: Yeah, that's fair. I think I agree with that for sure. yeah, and I think that almost to some extent it aligns well. Like the Larry move aligns well with what you're saying about Alonzo. It's like if they find situations where they can match him up, like whether he hits, you know, they get a they get a heavier fastball pitcher, they get a good sinkerball pitcher or something like that, and they know Alonzo can tee that guy up, like they're gonna be more willing probably to play Alonzo there and then maybe diary a third and sit Frazier on a given day as opposed to a guy, you know, I'm not sure what Frazier is against breaking balls, but say Frazier is like serviceable against breaking balls next year, or historically he's always been serviceable against breaking balls. And you, you're facing a guy like Tukey with a couple pitches, you know, and maybe not as fastball dependent. And uh, that's a situation where I could see Alonzo maybe sitting early. So I don't know for fantasy. I think it's a little weirder. It just creates a lot of days where you're probably going to want, you hope you're in daily lock leagues, but I, I'm kind of more of a weekly lock kind of guy in terms of, the time commitment and the strategy involved and in, in kind of setting that lineup. So you have be rolling the dice with Lonzo a lot, but I'm still relatively excited to see him. I think we all are very excited to see him at the major league level and see some of those like velocities off the bat. Um,
1: what do you think this does to McNeil though?
2: Yeah. McNeil, I think he becomes kind of a weird off day canoe guy and also just a platoon outfielder. I was reading that. Pinch I hitter. They, yeah. Pinch hitter. <clears throat> um, he's weird. I mean, I don't know. I, I guess they, I think it just kind of makes him, like, the odd guy out. I think he was decent enough, honestly, to, like, put together 90 games or so and of playing, you know, third base and, and second and maybe a little bit of outfield on off days for Conforto or Nimmo. But now it just adds another crux. I, I figured his main position would be third-ish to, to, to some extent, you know, with some flips back to second for Cano. But now it's, like... Who knows, you know, is he going to get yeah. 50, 60 games now? I, I I don't know. I guess they just want to build their depth out and see what happens. But I, I guess he's like a Kingery kind of guy. Like he could kind of play anywhere. And I guess that's the benefit of him. But in terms of his actual value to any fantasy owner, I, I just think it's almost non-existent at this point, unfortunately. So um, yeah. he's squeezed out. He's the odd guy out here, unfortunately. Well, but you know, if it, it, good defender it, it, too.
1: If it makes people feel better, you know, Frazier, Cano and Lowry are all on the wrong side of 35.
2: Yeah. So there's a good chance someone comes up with an injury, you know, and I not guess only that's only what that, they're heading against.
1: Not only that, there's no way they run those, try and run those guys out there 162 oh, God, no. games. A year. Cano, you know, these guys with Frazier, they're probably not playing day games after night games. Yep. I'd um, say they're
2: playing like five or six a week, most likely. I'd yeah. Them. And I may Frazier might even be four, honestly, sometimes. Um
1: Yeah. Rosario to me is the only infielder that they're going to, they're planning on penciling in 162. Lowry's there. If they need him, Lowry can do it, can cover if they need it without rushing him in as, but, uh, you know, otherwise it's Rosario. Mm -hmm.
2: And I'm sure they're fine with, you know, doing that and penciling in the plus defense there and just batting him eighth, you know, and just sitting him down there until he starts hitting better. Um, so, and I think, he, I think he's got a lot of development to do. And I, I, I always like Ahmed Rosario. I think the funniest thing with Rosario, getting in him in particular, Jason, here, I, I've always noticed with him, I remember reading a while ago, that during the future game BP at City Field a couple of years ago, that he was displaying, like, plus power, like, plus game power, uh, maybe, maybe plus raw, a little bit above. So we'll say 60, we'll say he was displaying, displaying 60 raw, and everyone hoped that the hits will get above average to the point where he actualizes, like, plus game power, you know what I mean? Like, right above average, plus game power. And I feel like, to some extent, that's not really manifested, even in, like, A's velocities or anything. There's really no <clears> objective <throat> data point to confirm that. There's nothing we can look at and go, oh, yeah, he's definitely a breakout in that category. Yet, I continually hear from people like Mickey Callaway, and, of course, that's within the system and other people, like, that that he does have plus raw and plus game. And i, I just always been perplexed by that, because we've never seen it at any point. Do you think this is a guy that puts up, like, a like a 22, 25 home run season. Eventually, what do you think his power ceiling is?
1: It's hard to say. I mean, he's athletic. He's got bat speed. So you never bet. You never bet against those guys, especially in the lawn, especially in the launch angle age. Um, I hope so. I just traded Austin Meadows for him straight up in a dynasty. There you um, go. <laughs> so I, I hope he does. Um, I think he can, um, but he's got a long ways to go, and he's one of those guys too, where the hit tool causes the power to play down. Right? You can have That's you true, can. Yes. Nobody cares how far you hit the ball at 4 p.m. You know, mm-hmm. I want to know how far you're hitting it at 7 p.m. Yeah. So, a um, thing with Rosario though, you mentioned the futures game BP was that two years ago, or was that that? I think it might have been. Was three that two years ago?
2: ago? Was it three? Let me see.
1: I feel like it was two years ago. Maybe I'm, mixing, maybe I'm mixing up the
2: field. Maybe I'm not. Let me see. I'll, yeah, I'll figure this out. Yeah, I think I it was 2017. The they might be getting that mixed up. Let me see. Future it something.
1: was in Seattle, wasn't it? No, I don't
2: think they Was Where been... was the All-Star game oh, two it years was that, ago? Oh, was it
1: Miami? That's where yeah, it was. I'm mixing up. Right. Apologies. Yes, I said the city Acuna field, was in that game. Mean. Yep, there
2: you go. Acuna was in that, that was
1: 2017. game. 2017. Right, so yeah. Bo and Vlad were in that game. So yeah, 2017. So... I can't speak for what happened in BP in 2017, but I can definitely speak for Future Game, Futures Game BP in 2018 and the game itself. Those dudes were using Major League Baseballs.
2: Yeah.
1: (laughs) I remember hearing about that. How many home runs? Like
2: nine home runs? I remember talking about that on this pod.
1: It was, yeah, nine home runs. But dude, Bobby Witt, Bobby Witt and Riley Green were at the high school home run derby. Going upper deck at Nationals Park with ease. And it was timed. It was like they had three minutes to d- take as many hacks as they could. And these guys were hitting 20, 20. Uh, I think Witt had 25 in a round. Um, Reese Hines had like 25 in a round. I mean, these guys were putting them on the concourse. And then Peter Alonso, Sully Matias, they come out, they're kind of, you know, that's onto over the concourse, just massive balls. Taylor Trammell's going upper deck with ease mm. you know the only person that didn't really hit a shitload of home runs in bp that i can remember that i think would surprise people was kirilov he had a few
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know but you know if you watch kirilov take bp dude he's like a technician he's yep. a, you know he's just a, he's surgical with his bp
2: I saw him BP out in the Midwest League All-Star game, actually. And I also saw him home run derby. So I saw the, the one shade of Kirloff that was, I'm going to try to hit everything a mile to right center. And he he hung with Will Benson, who's got yeah. legitimately 80 power. And I, I'm comfortable saying that because that guy hits the ball extremely hard, even though if it's a 20-hit tool. Like, he was hanging with Will Benson, Alex Kirloff, and he was just popping balls. But, uh, yeah, he's a, he's a technician. You're 100% right on Kirloff there. I remember watching that. He's like, left center, left center, and I'll pull it little to right center, and then he just, he's level swing. I love that kid so much. I know we both love him.
1: So I have him in my top five. I have him fifth overall in my top 100.
2: Uh, let me pull mine up. I think I'm right in that window with you.
1: <clears throat> and for me, I'd always said, you know, that probably Royce Lewis should be the top prospect in the system. You know, he's a shortstop. Yep. But I feel like you... I believe I, I have like Lewis it, above. Yeah, most people do. and And I love Royce Lewis, but... There's just something about Kirillov at the plate. I think Royce Lewis is a more exciting player, but I feel like Kirillov has just the higher floor. I think Kirillov's floor is a 60.
2: Mm-hmm. I'm fine with saying that. Yeah. That's I think he's like a moderate to low risk, like 65 is what I have in that, basically.
1: Yeah, I gave yeah. him a 70 high risk. I think he can be a okay. seven. I think he can, I think he can be... <clears throat> I think he can he can be that 6 to 7 war player at peak just on just on his offense alone. And wow. he's his defense in right field is good enough not to hurt him and he's got a cannon. Mm-hmm. So
2: Which bounced back to after Tommy Johnson which was really Oh yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. So I, I just think his floor is so high even though Lewis is probably the better guy. So you'd put a gun to my head like a month ago and said, "Hey, Lewis or Kirloff, you gotta rank them. And I would probably say, all right, I'm gonna take Lewis over Kirloff just because of the athleticism and the shortstop ability and whatnot. But the maybe it's because I miss baseball. Because <laughs> you, you notice that like the 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 less that we have to watch, the more we go back and think about what it's we so saw. True. And dude, I'm the hunter. And, no I'm the fisherman and it's like the fish is it was a, a minnow and that sucker now like you talked <laughs> about like it that sucker is like a, a shark right <laughs> and so I kind of think that I might be doing that with some of the guys that I really like and, and
2: yeah. I, I noticed that I, as well I have to say I noticed that when I was doing my top 100 So I- White Castle presents
1: CEO Lisa Ingram
2: I have Kirloff, eight, and I have Royce Lewis, seven overall, both 65s. Um, so right in that same vicinity. Um, and uh, I think that lines up probably with where most people, I hope, have both those guys. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I noticed that as well going through my top 100. We could transition right now into this top 100 talk. Yeah, I noticed that. Like, I was looking at guys like Christian Robinson and Jazz Chisholm we were talking about with JP earlier. Um, who else was I looking at? Brian Rocchio is another one. Uh, Cole Rodier. Like, just these kind of guys that I know had upticks at the end of the year, and I'm sitting there making this ranking, and I'm just like, can I squeeze these guys? I guess on Rocchio and, and Rodier, can I squeeze them into my top 100 and then look smart on the off chance that this guy's like has a huge stock uptick and is like a top 50 guy next year, you know what I mean? But at the same yeah. time, it's like, or do I go with guys like Griffin Canning, super high floor, Dane Dunning, I think, super high floor. Like, Basabe, I think, is a relatively high floor in terms of what he's going to be as an outfielder, even if it isn't a full-time guy and... You know, I just keep looking at that and I'm like, it's tough. You know, this is like the balancing game. I feel like I'm doing like a Hall of Fame ballot where I know some people are going to vote guys in. So it's like, do I leave this guy who I know should be a top 100 guy off just to get a guy in that I like? You know, it's funny. Oh, yeah.
1: It's so for me, my kind of process with with this top 100 list is I don't care about fantasy. Mm -hmm. Um, I wouldn't realize. well. Yeah, I, I'm not gonna. You want me to help your fantasy team? I'm gonna give you real life advice because what what I ask myself at a game is, you know, if I'm looking at a guy, it's it's two things. The first is, is this the best that I'm seeing? Is this the absolute ceiling right here? Um, and if if it's not, how much more is left, right? Then it's, do I think this guy can be a major leaguer? And if the answer is no then i mean yeah he might be in a team's top 30 because here's here's the secret uh front offices don't have top 30s like that they they have guys that they heavily invested money in mm-hmm. they get long leashes and then there's a lot of guys that are paid to go play catch with those guys now don't get me wrong, right? They're still working their asses off to develop those guys just as hard. But those guys that with the signing bonuses get longer leashes than the guys that don't sign for for too much, right? Those guys that don't sign for much, they have to ball out right away um, <clears throat> or be or be flashing. They have to be flashing plus tools right away. The guys, you know, like a Logan Warmoth, he's going to get a longer leash because he's a first-round pick even though he shouldn't. Yeah even though he's not even, I mean, you could make a case he's not, shouldn't even be in their top 30. So I look at guys and I say, can they be in the majors? And if they can, then what role are they? Are they just a backup? Are they, are they a starter? Are they a first or second division regular? Are they an all-star? And so for me, I, I ended up, I, you know I, I value defense and and I value not proximity, don't get me wrong, not proximity, but I value that that ability to to I can I can paint that picture of you being in the majors. but when i'm I'm doing this list, it's it's sprinkled in. I got high risk extreme guys, seventy extremes and fifty lows, right? Mm-hmm you know, those high floor guys like Madrigal sprinkled in with, with guys like jazz Chisholm and Vidal Brujan. And I think I might have Madrigal separating those two. Um,
2: yeah. That's a really good test case right there. Especially, you know, talking about, I mean, jazz is shortstop, but Brujan second baseman and Madrigal second baseman. That's a really good test case. Cause Madrigal is, I mean, he could play in the major leagues, I think probably right now and probably be a positive four guy with good defense, good base running and, you know, maybe not the the seventy hits will many people for envision, but right around there, you know. And then Bruhans a guy who's what did he jump up to high A at the end of last year? Yeah, and, uh, and then he's, then he's just power hanging spikes. around. Yeah, and his power spike. And and he's like a he's yeah. super volatile though. You know, like he comes out next year and his power is there. He can come out next year and shoot into the top twenty. I think very feasibly. You know, and same thing with so Jett Chisholm me, yeah. played so well in the AFL. We were just talking <laughs> to JPs. K, K- rate went down for Jett Chisholm to seventeen percent. In a sample in the AFL, which is about a twelve percent, thirteen percent drop from what he was posting um in uh, high A in the Cal League so, and in uh in uh King County in the West League.
1: Yeah, yeah. So whoops. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're fine, got no excited. <laughs> so uh so check this out. So those three guys, I think that's like the perfect example of of projection versus Ceiling versus floor and projection. How does projection fit? <clears throat> so for me, I saw Bruhan hit probably three of the four home runs or five home runs that he hit in like a 20 game, 30 game span in high a, um, I saw double plus bat speed. I saw launch and natural, natural loft in the swing. I saw a guy who's wiry strong. He's not a big guy either. Neither, neither of these guys are big guys. I don't know. Size had nothing to do with this grouping here for me. Um, but I'm looking at Brujan and Brujan, he'll give some at bats away. There is some swing and miss, but overall he's got really exceptional barrel control to go with plus bat speed. And I've seen him make in-game adjustments on pitchers, um, and, and, and like make, his at bats get better as he as he adjusts to that pitcher. So I've seen him do that. Now that's what like a guy like Madrigal is known to do. But I don't think Madrigal is anywhere close to the athlete. And this is saying something. I don't think he's anywhere close to the athlete that Vidal Bruhan is. And I don't think that he has the projection. Right? He's a college kid. He's kind of is what he is. He could probably change the swing and add some loft like Altuve. And I think that's what a lot of people. A lot of people really. Are hoping that he becomes Pedroya and Altuve mm-hmm. and not, you know, someone else that we don't care about. Right. So yeah. there's risk in that, but in order for him just to be what, like what I think it's close to his ceiling, I give him a 50, right. But I give that low risk where I gave Vidal Brujan a 60 and high risk. So I had Brujan and, and, and then I had magical and then it had Chisholm. Uh, underneath him. And for Chisholm, there is the K-rate issues, right? You brought up before 33%, 30% plus K-rate in, in A-ball. <clears throat> we love the power speed. Um, you know, he is raw. He's just super twitchy, and, and I think that's what you fall in love with when you see him, just how quick twitchy is. Um, there is power. He could be a 25-25 guy, but, you know, he's got to shore up that swing a little bit. Uh, in order to be that guy and there's some risk there so i think that chisholm has a higher ceiling than madrigal but i feel like chisholm is like an extreme risk i gave him a 60 extreme so i think that's a that's a scenario where i went kind of how i try and put those floor guys around guys with projection
2: mm-hmm. no i think you're spot and, on there yeah it's 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 really interesting. I almost envision a little bit of of uh, I was actually just watching tape of uh, the swing that I I see and in Jazz Chisholm is actually Drelton Simmons um, in terms of how he's pumping his hands. He just kind of like a double pump. Uh, and I, it was actually louder. It was probably like the barrel movement was just almost disgusting. And when he was uh, in trucks like three years ago, I think I was looking at a YouTube video and uh, he's cleaned it up a lot. And I like that, but I still think it's I still think it's a little bit noisy. I still think it's something that's going to get eaten up. Especially on balls a little bit up and in, um, which most guys are gonna have problems with, especially if they're not extending too far or anything. But his hands are quick. I think he can get around to most pitches. It's just, I I wonder if he's just a free swinger. Um, you know, he's he's low low walk rate, high K rate, so it kind of just seems like that. It doesn't really seem like a pitch recognition thing, or just a contact thing. Maybe it is pitch pitch recognition to some extent, but he seems to almost have uh, alleviated a lot of those concerns in the AFL to the point where. You know, J.P. and other scouts that J.P. was talking to are, are, are super in on him and were gushing about him, whereas I saw him in a home run derby and I saw him out in King County, and I liked him. I thought he was fine, but I didn't envision him as, like, a 60 guy. You know what I mean? 60 future value. I see him more as kind of like 50. I think I have him below 55 right now um, just because of the upside. I think it's substantial. And the fact that I do think he can stick at shortstop, I think his fielding is average and he's got a good arm, um, maybe a little above average on the fielding. So, I mean, he's So, J.P.
1: had him... JP had him in his first draft. It was 22nd. He gave him a 60 high. So yeah. that's really kind of the difference between, you know, a 60 high and a 60 extreme could theoretically be 20 to 25 spots on one of these lists, which yeah. are 100 percent subjective. But and and when we were comparing our list, it was interesting. We had a lot of guys like I might be 65 high and he was 60 60 moderate so we're kind of saying the same thing except that i think that athleticism might you know tweak that might push that grade up a bit if if the other tools uh sort themselves out so we talked about that with a lot of players Mm -hmm. as well and it's it's i think the main thing with these lists is when you're writing them you just have to remember that uh this is for fun people just enjoy reading them um they're easily they're easy to digest um you know they are a resource as well um i think as long as you can back up where you're coming from you know with sound logic then then you know for the most part you know people should be able to kind of take that information and then make an informed decision on it to help their to help their teams even even a top 100 that we're writing which is defense weighs quite a bit um On that. So, like one guy, for example, let's talk about Cabrian Hayes. Ooh, I know you want to talk about Cabrian Hayes. we've we Hayes. have not talked about Cabrian <laughs> Hayes yet. I don't think. Maybe we did on the Pirates podcast. I think so.
2: I think so. yeah, yeah.
1: Well, I forgot what we talked about. Let's talk about Cabrian oh, Hayes. I let's, think let's that do <clears throat> so I'm a big fan of guys like Christian Pache that have the and 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 Jake Rogers that have like the plus defense. Attached to them that that defense is going to to put them in the starting nine and they're going to have they're going to have regular at bats. And even if it's in the eight hole and they're going to have a crazy long leash, I'd be remiss if I didn't include Hayes right along in there. I don't think his defense at third base is on the same level of what Pache is bringing in center field, which is which is is which is Andrew Jones like so. So, yeah, we're talking an 80-grade center fielder with 70 arms, 70 speed. I, I'm, I'm writing something up on Pache. We'll talk about him later. But uh, with Hayes, Hayes and Pache are, are, are similar in that both guys had good barrel control. Both guys were known as hit tool guys with plus defense. And it, defense was going to carry the profile. And if the, and if the the hit tool could develop and maybe some power could come – then Watch out. you could take them seriously, right? But they were going to be decent prospects even if the power never showed up. Both of these guys have made a concerted effort to add some loft to the ball. They're hitting line drives with carry. They're making hard contact. Um, so if Hayes is that plus defender, and I think he's trending the same way as Pache, then it's like you know what I gotta bang the drum. I gotta start banging the drum for him. I've been negligent in that because he's been in Double A. He hasn't been down in Florida with me. So in the off season, we don't have nothing to think about. We start thinking about these guys, and it's like, man, I really like him. Man, I really, really like him. If you're telling me that Cabrian Hayes could be Matt Chapman, yeah, is I mean, is let me ask you this: is is top is is nineteenth or eighteenth overall too low? if you think that there's a chance he's Matt Chapman
2: I mean if you think there's a chance he's Matt Chapman I, I don't think 19's too well I believe I presently have him let me confirm this I have him 26 right now on my list I have him as a uh, I don't think I, I don't have risk attached but I have him as a 60 and I believe that's what I graded him out as on my Pirates top 30 as well Matt Chapman was a plus base runner plus plus defender he was a six and a half or guy last year 278. I uh, was walking ten percent <coughs> of the time, above average OVP and twenty four home runs. So,
1: dude, that's that's Hayes.
2: That's, I think Hayes is, I think the homers might be a little aggressive, and I, I think this gets back to what we were saying in terms of projecting out that power. Because it might I think, take him a while. It might. It's yeah, take him a while. that's the thing. Because not it's, right away. It's a really really simple swing. It's it's like a small sub thigh leg kick, but it's beautifully timed. There's a small drift back of his hands. His barrel tip is super quiet, and there's enough bat speed there where it's just it's a really nice simple. Up off his shoulder and swings, and he gets the balls. He was hitting unbelievable. He's like a two ninety hitter everywhere. He's gone with reasonable BABIPs too. Like he's like a three forty four BABIP guy at Double A last year. High A in twenty seventeen, he was three thirty one with a two seventy eight average. It's I have it as a sixty hit tool. I think he could probably end up. What was his ISO? 65. He was, was ISOing. ISO so Double A was one fifty one. It jumped up what was a lot it in twenty seventeen. 0.86. six. Point zero. Yeah. Right see,
1: offense. dude, in twenty seventeen, man, he was wide in the box. Yep. There was minimal leg kick. He was just kind of like, uh, you know, just just throwing the hands at the ball out yep. on his front foot. Um, poor weight shift, no lower half to his swing, and he started he started getting a little bit more upright and adding that leg kick. And to me, when when guys with plus hit tools kind of start trying to learn to hit home runs. Not every, not everybody's Vladdy and Juan Soto that can just, or, or Acuna that are just born to hit home runs. Um, some mm. of these kids, you know, it's going to take them a little bit. They get, if the hit tools there, sign me up hey, with plus defense. I think that I don't think Chapman was known for being, uh, I kind of feel like Chapman was known for having plus game power and, yep. and it was maybe a fringy hit tool.
2: Yep. No, to I go with that. with that. Yep.
1: And so that's why he was always, it seemed like he was always in the 90s of every top 100 I read. I feel like I remember it that way in the 90s. And <clears throat> I think that, I don't think people value that defense enough or that the fact that, all right, if this guy just, if he just makes contact enough, he walks enough to save the batting average, right? Mm-hmm. If he walks enough to stave off 0 for fours, then you know, if the hit tool comes around and he starts hitting for home runs, you know, what's his war gonna be? I think yeah. he's kind of like set that benchmark for, for for some of these prospects because unlike Arenado, he didn't do it in Colorado. And you know, there you know, that that matters a little bit. Um, you know, Oakland's not an easy place to hit, so he still did it. You know, I think I think if Matt Chapman were coming through now. I think hit tool power wise, you know who he reminds me of hit tool power, Hudson Potts or Hudson Potts reminds me of Matt Chapman, yeah. hit tool power. I can see but that Hudson Potts, I think is, is a good enough defender to stick at third base. I think he's too. Where he's Chapman, get up too. Yeah. yeah. Chapman is the one of like the, the gold standards. He's an 80. That's yeah. what you measure by. So <clears throat> if I think that Hayes can be close to that, dude, this is steel. Draft yeah. this guy now. Go trade for him. He's Get a, him now. He's, buy stock.
2: I've always been a fan. I've been a fan, I think, on this podcast, too. Some of the first ones me and Ralph did way back, and I, I got the chance to see him this year, actually, before I, I came out to Chicago against uh, Hartford. And, yeah, he, he was great. He just he did everything I wanted him to do. He was quiet in the box. He took pitches. He, he saw the zone really well. He doesn't swing and miss that much. It's just, it's everything you want. He turned on, I think, like a, I think it was like a 1 1 fastball, just middle, middle, just quick down the line. He wasn't trying to do too much with it. And I was just like, I love the hit tool. I think it's a, I think it's, I think it's plus. And I think that that at the end of the day is going to push him to be just a fantastic guy. He's like, he's just going to be a, one of those guys where you look at and nothing is too sexy, but it's the war at the end of the day is going to be like three to four. It's going to be really consistent. It's going to have a high floor. And if he taps into any bit of power, you're pushing him up into four or five, easy. In terms of that, because if he if he hits 22 home runs and he's hitting 270 and he's plus defense, and I think he's a f- probably like a fringe average runner, or they actually have him, I think he's actually a little bit quicker. Um, might be slightly above average. I, I didn't have a stopwatch at the time when I was seeing Cabrera, but so I'll, I'll reserve judgment on speed. But he's say he's neutral neutral base runner, plus defense, plus offense. Like I'm in love with it, you know. And even for fantasy leagues, I think there's value there if he's non-zero in stolen bases. Say he's stealing like six seven a year. And he's, he's hitting 15 home runs, but he's got average. He turns into like a third base, is a little weird. Maybe, maybe out of the Gaden fantasy, that that standard for third baseman's a little different. If you're looking at top round guys like Arenado and Brian and all these others, but you lay around guy and Chris Bryant, you could flip into utility and hope that the power turns around on eventually because the kid's 21 years old right now. He's probably going to debut at the age of 23, I would guess. That's I'm all about it. I'm all about it. And I, I've always been a big Brian Hayes guy. Just from the structure of the swing, it seemed very, very simple what he needed to do to add some loft, and he did it. Got his fly ball rate up to 43%. That's a 10% jump year-over-year from 2017 to 2018. Dropped the line drives a little bit, but the kid's good enough. Even if that babbitt falls down a little and he's 280, 270, I'm all about it. Big Brian Gatstein. you I,
1: I, think, I think the trajectory with him, I think he probably gets a cup of coffee next year. I think he comes up mid-season next year because <clears throat> he'll be at AAA. Um, I th- think that... In 2020, what you'll see, I don't think you see 20 home runs yet. I think he's going to be one of those 40 double,
2: yes, 15 exactly. home I run,
1: 40 double, 15 home run guys. And he's, you know, I think people will sleep on him a little bit. Um, and it, that might be him for like a couple years. And then I think the power, I think 25 home runs is definitely within that bet, within that, within that body.
0: Especially these Absolutely. major league
1: baseballs, dude. He's going to crush these major leagues. The only concern I might have is Pittsburgh is rough on righties, you mm-hmm. know. But he can make, he can make it up in Cincinnati.
2: Yeah,
1: <laughs> he I'm, can I'm make it up on. in yeah. Um, so yeah, he's a guy that I that I really I think that <clears throat> scouting kind of gives you the context that if you're just reading fantasy stuff, you're not going to get that on Hayes. You're gonna mm-hmm. wait for someone to to notice a trend in fly ball rate and and power, you know. But I remember seeing this guy in extended spring training and talking to scouts, and they were like, "Dude, Hayes Hayes added a leg kick. He's more upright now. He's trying to hit the ball in the air. Watch out this year." Yeah. You know, I remember hearing that in spring training, and and uh, I've just followed him all, all season in Double A, and uh, he's just he's checking off that box, right? that is the, that is the next step right the next step is is consistent game power like a guy like Christian Pache that I mentioned before he's still like his hit tool <clears throat> is still very raw it's not nowhere close as hey uh, to Hayes' hit tool um, but he still has that barrel control so you look at the k rate and the k rate doesn't look bad you know but that's because he's he makes a lot of contact and it's not always good contact um, because, and, and what I mean is he just, he's swinging at too many pitches.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so that's kind of tapped into what you've seen in his game power. But then this kid's still a couple tweaks to his approach, a couple tweaks to his swing, more focus on the lower half. And he hit nine home runs and, and nearly doubled his career ISO. Um, he, he had more extra base, base hits this season than he had had in his minor league career. Um, Mm -hmm. and so people are low on him. I hear it all the time. Oh, in a real life list. Yeah. You rank him high, but in a fantasy list, you don't rank him that high, dude. That's ridiculous. Half the guys you have over him are not even going to be as close to a good a player as that he could be. So, so if you look at what he's doing, excuse me, he's checking off those boxes, right? The numbers don't look good. You, you hear stuff like, oh, what about his walk rate? He doesn't walk enough. Maybe, just maybe, the fact that he was signed as a kid with an advanced approach, that the Braves said, all right, look, we want you to, to try and focus, do what you do, but try and use that lower half more. Um, his, his, funny, Lance, his ground ball rates stayed about the same at about 50% from mm-hmm. 2017 to 2018. His fly ball rate only went up like uh, a couple ticks, 7%. Not really substantial like you would think for this guy to have like no extra base hits Then all of a sudden, you know, nine, nine bombs as a teenager. Uh, but if you look at like his fly ball distance,
0: mm-hmm.
1: he was well over 300 feet average. He was probably like three – I think he was in like 305, mm-hmm. maybe 310 average fly ball distance. And the year before – he was below three hundred. Yeah, he was in like the two, the two, the high two nineties. So that just goes to show you that a little bit of tweak to the lower half, uh, an eighteen-year-old kid working out all season and then turning nineteen and still getting stronger, a little bit more experience, and this is this is what what's not to like there. Yeah, at and, nineteen and double A. Like do think- what what? Why would you think or why would anyone think? that next season it's not within the realm that he hits 300 with 15 home runs between double A AA and triple A.
2: That's huge. Yeah.
1: Especially and with this. Think the about speed. this. Right. And think about this. What if the Braves told him go out and be aggressive at the plate? There's a lot of here's here's another thing that like you don't always learn until it's too late. People love walk rate right on prospects a lot of that walk rate is due to passivity at the plate.
2: That's true for sure.
1: It's a it's, combination you know,
2: of a lot of things, pitch recognition, simple ability to make contact, knowledge of the zone. Yeah. Like, right.
1: Look at Vlad Jr.'s walk rate. Vlad Jr. to me has like the perfect walk rate. Yeah. What is he like 13, 14% or a little higher? Pull maybe? it up. Yeah. Pull it up. It's, it's not high. He's, it's not, it's not, a, it's, a, it's enough. It's enough oh, that at 19, yeah. 12%, mm-hmm. it's enough at 19 years old. To where you think, okay, this kid knows. This kid is either, this kid knows knows how to pick up spin, or people don't want to pitch to him. Mm. And uh are you telling me that you want Vlad Junior not swinging the fucking bat? <laughs>
2: yeah, it's true. Excuse right, me, he was twelve percent A, eight percent Double A,
1: but the, yeah, are you eight percent
2: like you in Double like A? Yeah, eight yeah. percent in Double A. ten percent K right? Yeah,
1: he's just like yeah. The- so. Man. So, you're telling me you want Vlad Jr. to just go up there and stand up there and maybe take four pitch? No, I want him swinging the bat. Mm. Yeah. The walk rate is important if it's mature takes. If it's not mature takes, if guys are just like missing the zone and uh, these are easy takes, if these guys aren't spitting on 0 on 2 curveballs in the dirt, you know, you can't always judge a guy by his walk rate. You just can't, you know, and especially in, in, in rookie ball, man, half these pitchers can't even come over the zone. These are easy walks. So I always get a chuckle when people say, what about his walk rate? I'd I'd rather him swing the bat. And if, and if he's going to try and hit more balls in the air and try and launch more balls, then swing the big difference between Pache and someone like Vlad though, here's the big difference. Vlad doesn't chase. And Pache expands. See, that's, that's yeah, the thing. You look at Pache's yeah. K rate, it's still respectable, right? It's still respectable. It's not Vlad Jr. like, but it's still respectable.
2: Yeah. But that's, he that's swings huge.
1: everything.
2: That's, a, that's the thing. It's like there's, there's balances of it. You could be an aggressive hitter. You could be like a low K, low walk hitter that's aggressive and just puts the bat on the ball early. You see a lot of those. Like Madrigal's a guy like that probably. Madrigal's now yeah. probably taking a lot of He pitches, swings at everything. You know? He yeah. swings at everything. And then, I mean, you could almost, almost infer that to some extent with Vlad but at the same time, Vlad's just probably looking for a specific pitch in a specific spot, and when he sees it, he just has an innate ability to hammer it, whereas Pache is is like, he's aggressive, but at the same time, he's probably not the best at recognizing the spin off the plate, so he's chasing some of those, but what he's going to do is he's going to stumble into a lot of balls that he could square up because he's got really good hands and he's got some pop, you know, even if it doesn't manifest in ISO and some other things, but, you know, I, I don't know. There's a real balance with that, and I think that, it kind of comes with the territory of a guy who's volatile. It's like, I, I'd, I'd be really interested in a player development p- perspectives, uh, player development for an office guy's take on it, you know, whether they well, give guys green lights on pitches and this and that, and whether they want to tinker with that at all to see results and see what's the best profile for a kid. Like
1: be really interested in that. So I think, I think it depends on the player. Yeah, um,
2: absolutely. Now
1: I don't have, I don't have any, this is, this is, this is speculation, but I, I, I think I've been to enough games to where I, I have pretty much a good idea of what's going on, and I've seen a lot of players not change when they need to change and wonder, why isn't someone fixing this guy? Um, let's look at, I don't know, the player that I'm thinking about is Ryan Noda from the Blue Jays. I don't know why Ryan Noda, I'm going <laughs> to compare Ryan Noda and Christian Pache, all right? So... No, let's compare Drew Waters and Christian Pache, all right? All right, let's do that. So because uh, they're a little bit closer, but I think – so there's a lot that I don't like. Drew Waters is swings at everything too. He doesn't walk. He doesn't want to walk. He's got got more swing and miss than Pache. But Pache spent spring with the Braves, with the big league club this past year. Mm Mm-hmm. He and William Contreras were the only, as far as I know, the only position players that were in big league camp. And um, that was, I think, to be around the Braves hitting instructors. Instructors, they, I think what happened was the, the, the organization knew, all right, these kids have plus raw power, premium raw power. We got to tweak that. We got to get them. We got to get them in the in the in the Ronald Acuna and uh, Ozzy Albie's mode of launch, baby. Yeah. We got to teach them this. We got to get them doing this. And so their directives might be: all right, you go out, you be aggressive. Don't worry about your batting average. Don't worry about strikeouts. Don't worry about walks. You learn how guys are pitching to you, and if it comes over, and if it comes over the plate, you let it rip. First pitch fastballs, let it rip. Pache swings at the first pitch all the time a guy like Drew Waters he's not necessarily getting that same instruction in minor league camp that Pache is getting in major league camp right and so now i don't doubt that he won't be invited this spring he's kind of following Pache's trajectory even though they're the same age they're kind of trending along the same path with the exception of Waters having more pop at a you know at uh, at the same age <clears throat> but Waters it it might be, you do your thing. You do what got you here. And we're not gonna we're not gonna mess with you. We're not gonna mess with you until the stat line says that we need to mess with you, until the approach says that we need to mess. But otherwise we're just gonna let you do what you do. And you see that a lot in the lower levels of the miners. Just guys can what got you signed, you do that until it fails.
2: Yeah, that's a very good point. And that you goes that for like string, swing structurally too, and we see this with yeah. Kyle Tucker. I know this was always brought up with him at higher levels. It's like it's a funky swing. It's like when you adjust it. It's like well, you adjust it when he fails, and he didn't fail.
1: Yeah, you know he failed yeah, at the major fail. league
2: level. So that I mean, doesn't count, though. So did yeah, Trout yeah. his first cup of coffee? That's very, people very forget true. that.
1: Yeah, you know That's Trout was did. Yeah, Trout hit two, two. These guys, man. People think it kills me. People think that these guys are you know, are, are, are overhyped or bust in like 20-game samples because they don't go all Yasiel Puig and just murder everybody. Yeah, It's, it, you know, pump the, pump the fucking brakes for a second with some of the expectations on these guys. And, you know, it's a process. Let them get better. Give them, you know, give them that long enough leash. And I think that most of these guys, depending on the situation, like what happens with Tucker now? Right? Can you? The Astros are in win now. But he doesn't even have a spot. So, yeah. what? What more does he need to do at Triple A? Um, and so, Just if you're not going to Triple A too, yeah. If you're not going to give him that long leash to to fail at the major league level, then I think, I think you got to flip him. You got to put him on yeah. the block now. To yeah. me, the Brantley signing says the Brantley signing says he's got to go because they're not willing to give him that leash for whatever reason. They're not They're not willing to hand the keys over to him. And I think that says something too, right? Because we've seen rookies come up with contenders and and just get plugged right in. And so, I don't know, maybe Houston knows something that we don't, or maybe they just, he's still young enough. Maybe it's just like, let's just wait one more year. Yeah. It's, or it's a maybe weird one. he's going to Miami for Rio Muto.
2: Yeah, but they stole Torino's though. So it's, it becomes a weirder right. situation. of Like, well, who else are the, maybe they going for? on the available sides. Like, I, I mean, but also, then you look at the team, and you go, well, where do they need help? You guess yeah. catcher, but you already signed Chirinos. Do you want to go, like, Rio Muto 130, Torino's 30? That seems like a waste of Torino's. you know? Torino's could yeah. catch 140 games, probably, you know? Like, he's kind of that hedges mold to some extent. I don't know if he's, I don't think he's that great defensively, honestly, but um, I think he's still, like, an everything catcher. He's a, he's a strong side platoon catcher, if, if this is the way that catchers are going. Yeah, he's been a plus defender um last three, four years. Torino. So yeah, I mean it's interesting. I really don't know what they're gonna do with Kaltuk. I guess he's hold him triple A again, but ugh, it's weird. It's a really weird scenario. Maybe, maybe is this the year Reddick falls off? Maybe he's right. You it know?
1: could be maybe, maybe Brantley, maybe Brantley it's it's just all right, we we want this guy. We one, we want to keep him away from everyone else. Two, he can help us. But you know, he hasn't been like a a, a model of durability you know, in True. his, no, in his career. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, maybe you keep Tucker and it's just like, all right, we're going to, we're going to play him, but he, we're just not going to hand him the the keys to the lineup. He's going to, yeah. he's going to play 70, 80, 90 games. He's going to pinch hit. He's going to come off the bench. He'll spend some time in triple a. And, uh, and when we need him, you know, we'll have him. Mm-hmm. It's better than trading him. I could think of not having him. Right. If something agree, happens yeah. to either Reddick or Brantley, <laughs> yep. it's it, it's a good to problem to have. It, yeah, it's a good problem to have, and I think that you know we get excited about these prospects and we th- we we dream big on them and we think, all right, they're going to step right in, mm-hmm. and that's not the case. And so when it, when I tie this all the way back into my process, right, of of ranking these guys, who's actually going to be major leaguers? You know, that's it's not as cut and dry as you would think. Mm-hmm. you know, That's cause tough. I think Tucker's the prime example, you know, well, why not Alex Verdugo? Why not? Is it because they're on winning teams? You know, is that the only thing that, that it's not talent? It's, it's not something that we don't know about. Is it, is it just because there's no opportunity and they're on a winning team? And so they're just going to end up in, in development hell. <laughs>
2: That's a good yeah, way. Yeah. I
1: don't, I don't know how you answer that yeah. question, but you know, it's, it's, you know, we, we would have thought Kyle Tucker would, would be a rookie of the year candidate. Right. And I Stupid. think everyone's kind of low on him now, not so much that he struggled, but that he struggled and then they went out and signed Brantley. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking, well, they don't, clearly they don't think he's ready to hand, hand the keys over. So.
2: Yep.
1: I don't know. <laughs> I think that it's, brings it's, us, yeah, it's that crazy. Brings us,
2: brings us full circle here. Um, and, uh. We're about at the hour mark, so I think we're good, Jason, in terms of fulfilling our Raswell commitment, so to speak. We did we're, it. We did it. It was a lot of fun. Good to chat through this.
0: We um, did it we without Ralph. A lot
2: of we did it without Ralph. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm proud of us. I'm proud of us. Uh, raswell.com. As always, check out their site. Check out all the stuff that's going through. Gray should have his ranking ups, rankings up relatively soon. I know Andy has come over from Tracks along with Ralph, and they're doing the baseball show. They've done a bunch of player segments, all video, that are all fantastically done, and I, I've enjoyed a lot of them. Josh James, I know they've done a bunch of other guys too. And uh, check those out. Those are on the front page com And uh, Prospects Live, this podcast is powered by that, of course. Check us out at Prospects Live on Twitter, prospectslive.com. We have our top 100 list coming out next week, the week of, I believe that'll be about January 14th or so. Um, it'll be right in that window there. We have Padre's list, which I've been working on for a while. That's coming out next week as well. So next week is going to be a huge week. I know a lot of other top 100s are dropping, but we hope you guys jump over to Prospects Live and check out ours. Put a lot of time into it, put a lot of thought into it. Jason's put a lot of thought into it. So is everyone, and we're, we're super amped to kind of get this out and get eyes on it and, you know, get the feedback off. And I'm also really excited to do that pod with everybody on Prospects Live and talk through the Top 100. I think that'll be a fun hour or so to kind of just hash our thoughts out and maybe, maybe throw some shade at other individuals. Uh, if, if someone has a higher on someone than everyone else or whatever, I think that'll actually be really fun, Jason, to see who's high on a specific guy, you know. Like, oh, you're 20 spots prior yeah. on that'll be really fun. So we can kind of tag ourselves as the the guys on certain players. So again, prospects live at Rise Ball. Thanks as always. Jason at the game is his Twitter handle. Mine is Lance B-R-O-Z on Twitter. Check us out and enjoy the rest of your night, week, year, whatever. Come back and check us out next week. Thank you. Take care.